proud of Taiwan. That's the theme of this year's National Day celebrations, which will take place on Saturday, October 10th. That's right. We're going to give you a sneak peek at how Taiwan's getting ready to party. I'm Natalie So. And I'm Andrew Ryan. Let's check out the stories on our radar. Ethnic Taiwan singer Ali Liang Chaluvie, who performs under the name Abao, won three Golden Melody Awards, Taiwan's top pop music award, last weekend. Her album, Kinakayan, or Mother Tongue, won Album of the Year and Best Indigenous Language Album, while a track called Thank You, which is dedicated to medical workers, won Song of the Year. The legislature unanimously passed a resolution calling for the restoration of official diplomatic ties with the U.S., and a second one seeking U.S. help in defending Taiwan. The opposition Kuomintang proposed the resolutions after Foreign Minister Joseph Wu said that the government was not seeking full diplomatic ties with the U.S. at the moment. The Kuomintang said it was surprised that the DPP voted in favor of the resolutions in light of the Foreign Minister's comments. Chinese hackers are suspected to have stolen personal data from around 6 million people who had created profiles on a popular Taiwanese job search website. This represents around half of Taiwan's working population, making this potentially the worst ever information security breach in Taiwan's history. The government's investigation bureau is looking into the case. Although COVID-19 is making public events impossible in most parts of the world, Taiwan is going ahead with National Day celebrations on Saturday. The events will include everything from a light show at the presidential office to fireworks in the southern city of Tainan. Meanwhile, a team at Taipei's landmark Taipei 101 skyscraper says that the annual New Year's fireworks display and light show will also go ahead as planned, hopefully ringing in a much less turbulent 2021. It's time for our words of the week. Andrew, guess my word. All righty. Play, pals. Patrick, <laughs> Patricia, <laughs> Patriot, <laughs> Patriotic. Patriotic, that's right. I'm like, who are Patrick and Patricia? <laughs> you want to play, right? You're play pals. No? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, this week is National Day, so it's a good week to be patriotic and think about what we love about Taiwan. Also, we have the results of an interesting survey of how many people would be willing to go to war for Taiwan. We'll be telling you all about that in today's show. Excellent. You ready for my word? Yes. All righty. Oh, short word. Run. Roll. Roll. Rock. RC. <laughs> That's a good word. You may hear some rock music during the uh, parties that are planned. That's true. But for now, this is your annual reminder that the National Day of Taiwan is actually the National Day of the Republic of China, which is the official name of Taiwan's government. So it's not Taiwan's birthday. It's the ROC's birthday. All right, thanks for that, Andrew. Let's <laughs> put these on the shelf. This coming Saturday, Taiwan will celebrate the 109th anniversary of the Republic of China. That's Taiwan's official name. Let's start off with a look at some of the things that are planned for this year's celebrations. BMX bikes and traditional Taiwanese glove puppetry these are just some of the things that will be featured at Taiwan's National Day celebrations on October 10th. The design concept for this year's celebration uses warmer colors like gold and orange to reflect pride and honor. That's in keeping with the theme, Proud of Taiwan. The head of the National Day committee, Yoshi Kun, says that Taiwan has a lot of things to be proud of this year. 
For one, it's gained international recognition for its success in dealing with COVID-19. So what's in store for the National Day Ceremony? Performances by indigenous groups, elite military squads, and high school marching bands. Not enough, you say? There will also be helicopters, motorcycles, and jet fighters. 2020 has been a tough year for Taiwan and for the world. But this year on National Day, the focus will be on the many reasons for being proud of Taiwan. All right, I'm very excited. We already have our official pamphlet, a brochure. Right. With very nice. All the things that are going to be happening during the celebrations this year. Now, Natalie, and also now with us, Leslie Liao, you two will be hosting the live uh, broadcast for right. this, right? Right, here from um, RTI. So we're going to be in the studio. We're going to have a live broadcast from the same studio where we did the live election coverage from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. Taiwan time. Okay, and that's going to be on our Facebook page, Leslie? That's, that's right. You can either go to the Radio Taiwan International Facebook page or the Taiwan Insider Facebook page, like Natalie said, starting 10 a.m. local time or 0200 UTC. And what's really exciting is the two of you will be on camera for the first time this year for the National Day celebrations, right? Indeed. Mm -hmm. yeah. How's that going to go? What are you uh, going to be doing? Uh, I'm going to be trying to look pretty. <laughs> um, you don't have to work too hard, Leslie. <laughs> it's, it's a little harder than you might think to maintain this. But um, other than that, we're going to be bringing you a play-by-play -play of what's going on, all the performances. Uh, and I think the highlight is going to be the simultaneous interpretation of Tsai's speech. That's that, us. That's not easy. You guys will be simultaneously. Yeah, we'll try our best. Yeah. So um, that's actually a nice challenge for us. We'll try mm. to do our best. Better you than me. <laughs> <laughs> At the National Day celebrations on Saturday, we'll also see a performance by Taiwan's Air Force. That's right. Now, the Air Force has been very busy lately. They have been busy intercepting Chinese planes that have been entering Taiwan's airspace. Five AT-3 jet trainers fly information over the presidential office on Tuesday in preparation for the National Day celebrations. Helicopters fly overhead, showcasing the national flag as well. The display is a demonstration of Taiwan's determination to defend itself. Chinese aircraft have been entering Taiwan's airspace at an alarming rate. The Navy has dispatched boats more than 7,500 times this year. That's 1,600 more times than last year. The Air Force has also deployed planes 2.3 times more than it did last year. These flights have cost nearly 140 million U.S. dollars this year. Premier Su Jianchang says with the Chinese war planes nearing Taiwan, these costs are necessary to protect Taiwan's national security. Military expert Zhang Jiwen urged the military to strike a balance between national security and the economy, perhaps by including the Navy in its maneuvers. In any case, Taiwan's Air Force is standing by for any situation. In light of increased tensions, ET Today did a survey last week asking people in Taiwan how willing they would be to go to war, and there were some interesting results. 45% said they're willing to have themselves or a family member fight in a war for Taiwan. 96% of 18 to 19-year-olds are willing. And 67% want to return to the two-year compulsory service. Right now, it's only four months. Also very interesting is 52% said women should be required to serve in the military too. 
and in case you're wondering about the gender breakdown for that one, 56% of men agree, while 48% of women agree that women should be required to serve in the military. I was really surprised how many people support women being in the military. Mm, I was surprised too. Do you guys think that women should be required to be in the military just like men? I think that in terms of gender equality, it would be great if both men and women were required to do some form of service. So national service, it doesn't necessarily have to be military service, um, but there would be options for both men and women. That's interesting. What about you? I, um, I'm inclined to agree with Andrew, but at the same time, I did do my service, so viscerally it feels like kind of like a get-even type thing. Like, <laughs> I did it, so everybody else should do it. So I'm, uh, I'm going to bow out of this conversation. <laughs> it's very touchy, especially mm. if you say gender equality. Because mm. I think women, they have other responsibilities, like they have to bear children. They, they don't have to. Oh, they don't have children. to, but they usually end up bearing children and doing a lot more child care, domestic care than the men do. Of course, that's a wholly different topic. Mm -hmm. And then you need to look at um, the low birth rate, aging society, if that would affect all of that, right? Yeah. So, like from a bigger point of view. But I think women going to the military is great training, I think, for the women, um, for people in general as citizens. I think it's a great idea. Absolutely. So. I have a lot of thoughts about that. A lot of thoughts what, about that. What yeah. do you think? Let us know. We'd love to know what you think. Should women be required to serve in the military? Leave a comment below. One of my favorite things to do during national holidays in Taiwan, like the National Day coming up this weekend, is to walk around at night and look at all the buildings which are beautifully lit up. So today's brain game, we're calling it Name, Name That, that Landmark. landmark. Wow. Oh, no. <laughs> okay, and they're going to be lit up, right? That's right. So Natalie and Leslie, I went out last night and took pictures of some ROC-related buildings in Taipei. Okay. It's Republic of China-related buildings, beautifully lit up at night, and I'm going to ask you to identify them. Okay, we'll try. You ready? We'll try. All right, let's like have this. a look at our first picture. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Who got that first? Uh, 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 Leslie. Leslie. I believe I did. That's the corner of the Grand Hotel. That is right. Picture. That is That's a right. Great picture, though. So the Grand Hotel, this was built in 1958 by Madame Chiang Kai-shek. Of course, she's related to a former leader of the Republic of China. Uh, this hotel was uh, the first five-star hotel in Taipei. Oh. And that is the view that you can see. Let's have a look at that picture. That's beautiful. So as you can see, it's right next to uh, the Radio Taiwan International building. So that's actually a twofer. That's two buildings in one picture related to the Republic of China. All right, you ready for our second picture? Let's do it. Mm -hmm. Let's have a look. Oh. Oh. Is it the foreign ministry? It is not the foreign ministry. That's the... Um, I have another idea. That's, that's the exe uh, executive yuan. Nope. Oh, no. Taipei Guest House. No. Oh. Examination Ministry. No. <laughs> you guys are all Legislative around. Legislative yuan? No. <laughs> control yuan. Yes. <laughs> Leslie, you are correct. That is the control yuan. This is the nation's main watchdog body, and it's one of the five branches of uh, Taiwan's government. Uh, now, this building is very interesting. It was built in 1915 during the Japanese occupation. And actually, Natalie, you were very close when you said Taipei Guest House because it's very similar. It has the curved mansard roofs, uh -huh. which are similar to it. Now, at the time when they built it, this is sort of like the Taipei city government of today. Mm -hmm. So it housed the offices of the uh, Taihoku Prefecture, 
which is current Taipei City, New Taipei City, Geelong, and Yilan. It's a huge area. Huge area. Wow. Beautiful building. Cool. All right, let's have a look at our next photo. Leslie. National Theater. Wow, you got that. Very good. <laughs> How could you tell? Uh, I know my ancient Chinese building. <laughs> I have to say, you also, you, you made a good guess because it could have been the National Concert that, Hall, uh, It was 50-50. I took it. All right, so the National Theater is located in the Chiang Kai-shek Memorial Hall Complex. Of course, Chiang Kai-shek again, ROC. Now, uh, the government authorized the building of the National Concert Hall and the National Theater, which this is, uh, after Chiang Kai-shek's death in 1975. It was completed in 1987. Hmm. At the time, it was one of the biggest performing arts spaces in all of Asia. Wow. Oh, really? All yes. of Asia? Wow. All of Asia. All right, let's have a look at our final photo. Oh. Leslie. Presidential office. You are killing it. <laughs> Very good. What, what clued you in? Um, I don't know. I guess I just pay attention to buildings a lot more than I <laughs> expected I ever would. All right. Let's have a look at the uh, full picture there. All right. So I took this last night. Uh, they were practicing for the ah. light displays for National Day. So it's all beautifully lit up there. Now, this building was completed in 1919 during the Japanese occupation of Taiwan. Now, it housed the Japanese uh, governor general at the time. It actually was uh, damaged during bombing by the Allied forces during World War II. After the Japanese then left Taiwan, uh, the ROC government came to Taiwan and they set up the presidential office in that building in 1950. Cool. Cool, right? Thank you. Those are nice pictures, Andrew. Well, thank you. I, I was racing around. Leslie saw me leave the office very quickly last night because I was afraid I was going to miss the lights. He was at 9.30. He left the office early, like early by his standards, 9.30 at night. <laughs> and he's just like, I got to go do something for tomorrow's uh, Taiwan Insider. I was like, oh, I don't like this because the last time he took a field trip, I ended up eating pork floss ice cream. <laughs> I was not okay with it. Sounds a little nicer to you this week, right? Yeah. Yeah. So at any rate, those are some of the uh, buildings that will be beautifully lit up on National Day. Uh, now, speaking of beautifully lit up buildings, I want to take you now on a midnight tour through the sights and sounds of the Nuit Blanche, or the White Night, which went up in Taipei last weekend. It's well past midnight, and the streets of Taipei are packed. Thousands of people are here, some planning to stay up all night long. And what have they come to see? Wait a minute, is that a game of tennis? Think again, this tennis match soon transforms into swing dancing. And the location? The middle of a busy Taipei intersection, which is closed to traffic for the annual Nuit Blanche celebrations. Crowds converge upon the brand new Taipei Pop Music Center for a feast of sights and sounds that will last until 6 a.m. Everywhere you turn, there are performances like this one, but it's the light installations that have transformed the city that I know so well into a psychedelic wonderland. This one, by Luxury Logico, is called Poetry of Light. Not far away, a glowing box. People have etched their love for music across the surface, allowing the light to shine from within. But perhaps the most mind-blowing piece is this data monolith by a Turkish collective called Ouch. They created this, wait for it, by mashing up AI algorithms and data from ancient times. It's almost impossible to process what we're looking at. 
But that's okay. These art installations of the Nuit Blanche have transported us to a different space, a different time, far away from the reaches of the global pandemic. And for a moment, there's nowhere else I'd rather be. Welcome to this week's Taiwan News Quiz, where I'm going to be quizzing Natalie and Andrew on their knowledge of the news this week. Are you guys ready? Yeah, I guess sure, so. why not? <laughs> Here's a hint. A lot of them are National Day related. Oh, oh no. Okay. 60 seconds on the clock, please. All right, guys. Number one. In a surprise <laughs> twist, the opposition Kuomintang is trying to rebrand and appeal to a more pro-Taiwan audience. What did one of their unanimously passed resolutions in the legislature ask for? Uh, the U.S. to defend Taiwan. And also formal diplomatic ties with the U.S. Correct. United Airlines says that it, was re- it will resume flights to Taiwan starting in November. They axed their daily flights in March due to COVID-19. How many flights a week will they operate this time? Three. Three, correct. Influencers on Twitter pointed out that which U.S. government entity now has more confirmed cases of COVID-19 the White than House. Taiwan? <laughs> correct, the White House. Oh, that's bad, actually. <laughs> Who <not> funny. <laughs> is scheduled to lead the national anthem singing during the National Day Ceremony on October 10th? All the health officials. Correct. Yeah. How many overseas Taiwan Taiwanese are expected to attend the National Day Ceremony? 10,000? 1,500. Very good, 1,500. <laughs> oh, good. National Day Celebration Fireworks Show will fire off 16,882 individual fireworks. It's expected to last 33 minutes long. Where is the fireworks celebration Tainan. taking place? China. Correct. Yeah. And last, one, last question, bonus question, you guys. Uh-oh. What was so loud that it woke me up this morning in a panic at 6.41 a.m.? Hint, <laughs> they were practicing for National Day. Uh, it was the Air Force flyover, the Jets. I, yeah. I wasn't sure if it was an F-16 or anything else, <laughs> but it was really loud. Loud and it freaked me out. <laughs> and the interesting thing was, I was dreaming at that point. And about war? <laughs> it wasn't about war, but like the volume in my dream, like cranked up oh with the jet goodness. fighter coming over. Well, yeah, I have to say, like uh, a couple nights ago, I was standing in near the Starbucks near my house, mm-hmm. and like these big, like military uh, vehicles came down. Really? The street, and I was like, Whoa, wow! It is way yeah. too sensitive a time <laughs> for that to be taking place. Yeah, yeah. That is not. I mean, you know, hey, Taiwan, great, 109 years, but... Yeah, the ROC. ROC, lighten up on the military stuff maybe (laughs) during a sensitive time, that's all I'm saying. Anyway, that's all this for this week's Taiwan News Quiz. Proud of Taiwan, that is the theme for this year's National Day celebrations. So we're going to end with this question. Leslie, what about Taiwan are you proud of? Really, Andrew, if I'm speaking honestly, I'm proud of the way they chose the colors for this year's National Day. (laughs) It was just so meticulous and well thought out that Mm. I can't help but love it. I got the feels. You got the feels? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Natalie? I'm so proud of how we handled the pandemic, the government and how the people came together. And I wish the whole world can be like Taiwan in that way. Absolutely. I'm going to echo that and say that I'm really proud of the fact that Taiwan has a government that works to keep its people safe. So thank you so much for joining us for this edition of Taiwan Insider. Be sure to uh, connect with us on social media. Yes, subscribe and leave a comment below. We'd love to hear from you. For Taiwan Insider, I am Natalie So. I'm Leslie Liao. And I'm Andrew Ryan. Happy National Day.
Taiwan Today with Natalie So. Hello and welcome to Taiwan Today. I'm Natalie So. As the U.S. approaches presidential elections, people in Taiwan are wondering what the new administration will mean for Taiwan. Today, I speak with Bill Sharp. He's a visiting scholar at National Taiwan University and also the host of Asia in Review, based in Hawaii. Sharp tells me first how much this U.S. election would affect U.S.-Taiwan ties. Good question. I often get asked that uh, by Taiwan friends and Taiwan people that I meet. They always want to encourage me to vote for Trump. And, um, well, right now, having checked the Real Clear Politics website the other day, last night, in fact, it does look like Biden's ahead by 8.1% in the popular vote, um, 50.6% for Biden, 42.5% for Trump. And it looks like, um, at the moment anyway, Biden is on a clear path to um, winning over the Electoral College. According to Real Clear Politics, uh, Biden has um, uh, 226 electoral votes at the minute, and Trump has 187, and there's still 125 that are contested. Mm. But it seems to be that the places in which the contested electoral votes are tend to lean towards Biden. At any rate, um, as you know, you need 270 electoral votes to win. It's going to be interesting, I think, to see how this recent period of hospitalization might affect uh, Trump's uh, polling numbers. Right. That was my next question. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, how you think um, his getting COVID-19 affects his image, you know, his chance of getting elected, if it has any effect. Well, it certainly seems that everybody, all the health professionals are telling everybody, wear a mask, maintain social distance. And he entirely disregards that. I, I heard something on the news just a short while ago that even his son is uh, sort of questioning his father's behavior. Don Jr., who always, to me, always tries to uh, mimic his father. But he seems to have some questions. And so many of his close confidants also are afflicted with the COVID. Uh, it really makes you wonder. Well, he hasn't been wearing a mask. And, yeah, he hasn't and... been wearing a mask, and uh, and those around him tend not to wear a mask. And um, I, I think it's just totally irresponsible. Well, you know, Trump has been very good to Taiwan. I can understand why your Taiwan friends are telling you to vote for him. I mean, uh, the U.S. has um, sent some really top officials to Taiwan, unprecedented in, in many decades. And, you know, we're also beginning to have economic talks, which right. could lead to a, a trade agreement. Why do you think Trump is supporting Taiwan so much at this time? Well, I think that he's supporting Taiwan because uh, he's receiving a reasonable amount of pressure from within his own party. But I think the bigger reason is that he feels that, he, you know, he's playing the Taiwan against the mainland. He wants to get a better trade deal. With I, China. With China, right. Mm -hmm. And I told so many of my Taiwan friends, I said, well, yeah, just like you said, that, you know, Trump's been pretty good for Taiwan. Um, you know, there's been lots of pro-Taiwan legislation passed, the national security strategy, the national defense strategy. 
the Taipei Assurance Act, the Taiwan Travel Act, Asia Reassurance Initiative Act. And obviously, there's been a couple of huge arms packages, including 66 new F-16Vs, which Taiwan has been lobbying for for, it seems like, ages. But at the same time, I think it's been bad for America. His administration has been good for Taiwan. There's, mm-hmm. no, there's no question about that. But I think it's been bad for America. Mm-hmm. And, you, know, you know, like, how can he say and make America great again when he's racking up a budget deficit? He's racked up a budget deficit of $3.3 trillion. You certainly don't become a great power with uh, finances and, and that sort of order. And the pandemic as well. Pandemic, race relations. Mm -hmm. He seems to want to throw out the Obama-era health insurance, which, I don't know, maybe it's not the greatest plan in the world, but there's a lot of people running around America without any kind of health insurance. And he keeps saying that, you know, well, what I have in mind is wonderful and beautiful, and you'll love it, but what is it? We've never seen it. On the other side, I think that, you know, There is this suspicion, and I don't think I'm the only person who holds it, that if he should get a better trade deal with China, that he could likely sell out Taiwan, which I think would be a real disaster for American image in Asia. And um, not only would it hurt U.S. credibility in Asia, but it would hurt U.S. credibility globally. It would hurt Taiwan, right? I'm going to definitely, <laughs> definitely would hurt Taiwan. Definitely hurt Taiwan. Um, there's no doubt about that. Um, what do you think he he might do to sell out Taiwan? There's always, a, you know, a number of possibilities. He could pull back on the supply of the new F-16 Vs to Taiwan. He could hold back on arms packages. Mm-hmm. There's another arms package being talked about right now that seems to be negotiated being in, in, the, in the stages of negotiation because sea mines, different kinds of munitions, and that kind of thing. All things that are needed for Taiwan's uh, asymmetric defense um, uh, approach. So do you think that if Trump were reelected, he would change his policy towards Taiwan, that this is only a tactic to bargain with China? You know, being more supportive of Taiwan is only a temporary tactic to- I think if he doesn't get a trade concession from China, he's going to want to decouple and decouple and decouple and decouple as much as he absolutely can. So in that sense, it might be good for Taiwan. But, you know, who knows? Trump is so unpredictable and so, as as, as I'm sure you've heard, so transactional. He's just kind of like the epitome of a Manhattan real estate developer. It goes from deal to deal to deal to deal Mm. and doesn't think very much about, you know, connecting one to the other. There's a total lack of strategic thinking on his behalf, although he says he understands the world better than everybody else. (laughs) Um, It's pretty hard to believe. You're listening to Taiwan Today, and I'm Natalie So. I'm speaking with visiting scholar at National Taiwan University, Bill Sharp. Next, we'll be talking about how a win for Joe Biden would affect U.S. relations with Taiwan. Taiwan Today with Natalie So.
The sound of the Puyuma tribe on Radio Taiwan International. Listening to Taiwan Today, and I'm Natalie So. I'm speaking with visiting scholar at National Taiwan University, Bill Sharp, about how the U.S. election will affect Taiwan. Sharp has been saying that many polls show that Joe Biden is in the lead, and I ask him, how would a Biden presidency affect U.S. relations with China and Taiwan? Well, I think you'll probably want to reduce some of the tensions that build uh, up between uh, China and the United States. On the other hand, I don't think you'll want to go back to the uh, Obama-Biden era of wanting to, some people would say appeasement, uh, other people would say accommodation, and some people would try, I think it could just be more simply said as trying to get along better with China. I think that that's proven to be impossible. Um, There's too much tension, and there's too much at stake. I mean, essentially, China is trying to throw the U.S. out of Asia. That's their long-term goal. And the U.S., for obvious reasons, doesn't support that idea. The U.S. has been involved in Asia since actually before the United States was a country. Regardless of administration, it has no intention of being thrown out of Asia. Well, what about Biden's policy towards Taiwan? Do you think he will continue to support Taiwan um, and as much as Trump has and send top officials uh, move forward with uh, perhaps a bilateral trade agreement? You know, I'm encouraged by some of the things that uh, Biden says about trade agreements. He said that he would consider passage of the TPP, but he wanted labor interests and environmental interests to be involved in negotiations on that. So I think that that bodes well for a trade agreement with uh, Taiwan. And I think you see in, in the U.S. today, I think there's growing support for Taiwan. And I think there's a, it doesn't matter what party we're talking about, Democrats or Republicans, or we're talking about members of the House or members of the Senate, there is a galvanizing, a coming together on concern about China. And I think that that probably helps out Taiwan. So much legislation has been passed and created in a bipartisan manner that seeks to help Taiwan. So do you think that Taiwan can rely on the U.S. um, to help it defend itself against China? I think there's no choice for the U.S. to come to Taiwan's assistance. You know, it's very interesting. A few years ago, a well-placed one-time official at AIT, whose name I don't won't say, uh, gave a speech in Taiwan disputing the geostrategic significance of uh, and importance of Taiwan. And nowadays, there's a new appreciation, I think, in uh, America uh, for the strategic importance of Taiwan. Certainly, the United States doesn't want to see, doesn't matter what party we're talking about, doesn't want to see Taiwan become part of the PRC, because then the PRC would turn it into a huge Navy base. Mm -hmm. They would then use the base to launch or probe 
into the Western Pacific, and the U.S. doesn't really want that. So one can say that the defense of Taiwan is also important to the defense of America, and obviously it's quite important to the defense of Japan. You know, I have a kind of a special interest in this because if China should be able to incorporate Taiwan and turn it into a naval base, then it kind of gives them a clear shot into the Western Pacific. And since I'm from Hawaii, I, I, always, seen, <laughs> I always remember that, you know, China has been fairly lucky lately in flipping some of those former uh, Taiwan allies, Solomon Islands, Kiribati. Mm-hmm. And Kiribati is only 1,500 miles from Hawaii. Mm. Yeah, it's pretty, it's uncomfortably close. And Kiribati at one time in the past had relations uh, with China, and China built a space tracking station there, which I'm sure they're going to want to renovate and, and operate again. And I would imagine that they will set up a listening post to try to capture sensitive communications coming out of Indo-PACOM. So what you're saying is that Taiwan is, you know, a major security interest for the U.S., no matter who becomes president, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So they will defend uh, this interest. And also, of course, we share the same democratic values. I think that's... Right. I mean, I think there is a lot of uh, similar values shared between the United States and Taiwan. So it does seem that U.S.-Taiwan ties, whether economically or politically, should continue to grow strong. That's my feeling. That's my feeling. Okay. Well, thank you so much um, for your time, Bill. Thank you. That is Bill Sharp. He is a visiting scholar at Taiwan's National Taiwan University and also the host of Asia in Review in Hawaii. Thanks for tuning in to Taiwan Today. I'm Natalie So. RTI news, programs, previews, and more on our website, english.rti.org.tw. Welcome to the RTI Time Machine. Today's time traveler is John Van Trieste and the destination, Pingdong County, the 1940s. Recently, a bunker was discovered in a rural part of Taiwan's far south. Experts were sent to investigate the site, located on land that had been given a few years before to National Pingdong University of Technology and Science. They determined that this was a munitions depot, used during World War II. It was an exciting find, but hardly a surprise in this part of Taiwan. By the start of World War II, Taiwan had been subject to Japanese colonial rule for nearly 50 years. And it was here, around Taiwan's southernmost tip, that the Japanese military believed an Allied invasion of Taiwan would eventually come. The entire area was heavily fortified. But the invasion never came, 
and after the war, many sites were forgotten about. It is possible that there are still tunnels, bunkers, and munitions depots like this one that have yet to be rediscovered. Director of the Pingdong County Bureau of Cultural Affairs, Wu Jinfa, hopes that these sites will be preserved for future generations as protected historic sites. Despite the difficult memories of wartime Taiwan that they can bring back, he and his bureau are now taking the first steps to making sure these sites are preserved. Mr. Wu joins us today to talk about these military facilities and their significance. Mr. Wu says that many of these defensive works are products of the final years of World War II. Though a number of sites go back further, the war against the Allies during the 1940s saw Pingdong County in Taiwan's far south become a strategically vital point. He says there were historical reasons for expecting an Allied invasion here. Japan itself had plenty of experience landing troops along this coast. In 1874, before colonization, it had sent a punitive expedition against local indigenous people. Then in 1895, as part of the campaign to take control of Taiwan, Japan had landed a force here yet again. Taiwan's southern tip, it seemed, was a prime spot for an invasion. If Taiwan was the next target for the ally strategy of island hopping towards Japan, it followed in the minds of Japanese commanders that this would be the area where a landing would come. Towards the end of the war, the tide had also turned against Japan in the Philippines, which lay across from Taiwan's southern tip, just beyond the Bashir Channel. By this time, the whole area was heavily fortified, with defenses running for miles and covering the whole of Taiwan's southern peninsula. Mr. Wu says there were three lines of defense. The outermost layer stretched along the shoreline. Mr. Wu says notable facilities on this line included a command center where commanders could observe the accuracy of artillery launched towards the beach. If the guns further inland failed to hit their targets on the shore, the command center would call back and tell them how to adjust their aim. Another part of this first line of defense is an artillery bunker not far from Taiwan's southernmost point. Today, the spot is popular among tourists, come to watch the tropical sunsets there. Few know that not far away sat Japan's southernmost and largest artillery position in Taiwan. If the first and second lines of defense failed to hold, soldiers would retreat into the mountainous interior, where there were munitions depots, an airstrip, and extensive tunnels. There, Mr. Wu says, should all else fail, the troops were to regroup and fight to the finish. Mr. Wu says these lines of defense include over a hundred individual sites in total. They range from large and elaborate command centers to small, basic fortifications. Perhaps all this preparation wasn't a bad idea. According to Mr. Wu, there were elements in the American military that considered an invasion of Taiwan. A school of thought, he says, was led by Fleet Admiral Nimitz. 
but the cost of an invasion would have been high, especially on such a rugged island, and Mr. Wu says that others, like MacArthur, opposed the idea. Instead, the smaller island of Okinawa to the north was invaded. So, Mr. Wu says, the invasion never came. Taiwan was bypassed, and the fortifications on its southern end were kept well-preserved for lack of action. Also well-preserved are records of these sites. Mr. Wu says he's even been left surprised by their completeness. But of course, building all this was no slapdash operation. He says there are two sources of historical records that tell us about these sites. The first is in Japan itself, where Mr. Wu says documents give the names and responsibilities of the individual officers stationed in the forts. He says these records also show that while Taiwan's southern end is mostly rural, there were more troops stationed here than in the important southern city of Kaohsiung, not far away. The ranks of their commanders were also higher, showing how seriously the threat of an invasion here was taken. Details of the sites are also recorded at great length in handwritten inventories from the Republic of China military. At the war's end, the Republic of China government took control of Taiwan, and its military continued to use many of these sites after Japanese forces handed them over. A number of them were only decommissioned around 1990, with changes to a law governing munition stores. Mr. Wu says nobody has requested all of these documents from the military yet. He says he's only seen a portion of them, and that some seem to be missing. After the war, many of the sites were forgotten. A number have since been rediscovered by amateurs who go out looking for them. Others, like the recent discovery on the university land, are found by accident. The Pingdong County Bureau of Cultural Affairs has inspected a number of these sites, and Mr. Wu himself has been among those to visit. The Bureau is working to give the fortifications protected status as historic sites. But this work is just beginning. There is, Mr. Wu says, a general avoidance of thinking about World War II in Taiwan. He says the truth of the matter is that at the time of the war, Taiwan was a Japanese colony fighting with the Axis powers, even if not willingly. He says the funds to pay for the construction of these fortifications came from taxes levied on Taiwan. He also says that Taiwanese laborers were made to do the construction work. Among those laborers, he says, was his grandfather. Mr. Wu says he feels, though, that any discomfort all this may cause is no reason to forget about the relics of the war. The past is what it is, he says, and whether because they can cause people to reflect on history or because they stimulate culture and tourism, Mr. Wu says these sites should be protected. From these sites, he says, people can see what role Taiwan and Pingdong County played in a global war. So far, only one of these 100-plus sites has been given historic site status, but plans to see more sites protected are already emerging.
Mr. Wu says the idea is to protect these sites in stages. The project will start with those sites where the historical details are clearest, and issues with land ownership are the easiest to resolve. The local Cultural Heritage Committee plans to meet in mid-December to review these sites and their historical value. And after this, filings with the central government will bring more attention to these sites from higher up. As work to protect the sites gets underway, a part of Taiwan's past that's still being uncovered will be brought into the spotlight once again. I'm John Van Trieste, and I hope you'll join me again next week for another Journey Through Time. At the National Day celebrations on Saturday, we'll also see a performance by Taiwan's Air Force. That's right. Now, the Air Force has been very busy lately. They have been busy intercepting Chinese planes that have been entering Taiwan's airspace. Five eighty-three jet trainers fly in formation over the presidential office on Tuesday in preparation for the National Day celebrations. Helicopters fly overhead, showcasing the national flag as well. The display is a demonstration of Taiwan's determination to defend itself. Chinese aircraft have been entering Taiwan's airspace at an alarming rate. The Navy has dispatched boats more than 7,500 times this year. That's 1,600 more times than last year. The Air Force has also deployed planes 2.3 times more than it did last year. These flights have cost nearly 140 million U.S. dollars this year. Premier Su Jianchang says with the Chinese war planes nearing Taiwan, these costs are necessary to protect Taiwan's national security. Military expert Zhang Jiwen urged the military to strike a balance between national security and the economy, perhaps by including the Navy in its maneuvers. In any case, Taiwan's Air Force is standing by for any situation. In light of increased tensions, ET Today did a survey last week asking people in Taiwan how willing they would be to go to war, and there were some interesting results. 45% said they're willing to have themselves or a family member fight in a war for Taiwan. 96% of 18 to 19-year-olds are willing. And 67% want to return to the two-year compulsory service. Right now, it's only four months. Also very interesting is 52% said women should be required to serve in the military too. And in case you're wondering about the gender breakdown for that one, 56% of men agree, while 48% of women agree that women should be required to serve in the military. I was really surprised how many people support women being in the military. Mm, I was surprised too. Do you guys think that women should be required to be in the military just like men? I think that in terms of gender equality, it would be great if both men and women were required to do some form of service. So national service, it doesn't necessarily have to be military service, um, but there would be options for both men and women. That's interesting. What about you? I, um, I'm inclined to agree with Andrew, but at the same time, I did do my service. So viscerally, it feels like kind of like a get even type thing. Like, <laughs> I did it, so everybody else should do it. So I'm, uh, I'm going to bow out of this conversation. <laughs> it's very touchy, especially yeah. if you say gender equality.
Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC, on 9405 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC, on 9405 kHz. And in Southeast Asia, from 0300 to 0400 UTC, on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. Thank you.